Hello. We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 2, Episode 13, The Drill. I'd like to welcome back my panel. Hello, Charles. Hello. And hello, Corey. Hi. So I apologize for our long hiatus, but we are back, and let's let's not waste any time. Uh, except first, just a quick uh, some quick primers. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot I was gonna do this. Um, I, first, I would like to announce our CW uh, chat weekly chat. Uh, we're gonna be uh, announcing Felicity and Friends, a, uh, a CW chat where we talk about all four of the shows: Supergirl, The Flash, The Legends of Tomorrow, and Arrow. Corey and I will be doing that every week. Um, the Supergirl and Flash portions of that will be posted later, uh, will, or have already been posted by the time this, uh, this drops, uh, and hopefully the Arrow and Legends will as well. Um, so that, if you watch uh, any of the CW shows, uh, you get to kind of hear, or kind of do something very similar to this, but instead of uh, te- or, uh, audio-based, this is text-based, so if you have some time to read, uh, that's something good. Uh, if you're, as always, you can always check out our Game of Thrones show, The Crossroads Inn. Um, all of our episodes on that are on our YouTube channel. Um, if you are still thinking about season seven of Game of Thrones, you can always watch that and, and hear basically the same thing we do here, but a on Game of Thrones. So without further ado, let's get into the drill, the second part of the second mid-season movie. We actually had two little mid-season season two-parters in, uh, in book two. So this time we have the drill. So Corey, why don't you kick us off with your initial thoughts on this episode? This is a great episode. Um, this is actually the episode I remember the most when I think of book two, always. Like, if I, I, if I could think of one episode to look back at each season, I, I pretty much have one, and The Drill is the episode I do with book two. It doesn't mean it's my favorite episode, it just means it's the most memorable episode to me. Um, I, I really like the idea of the super drill. I like all the visuals of how they try to fight it and how they fail at it, and then what the ultimate solution is to, to bring it down. It's very Star Wars X, like old school Star Wars X. This episode to me, um, and it's just an episode of the good guys, you know, triumph, triumphing over the evil. And it's a, really its own standalone episode. And it, it was brought into it with a good cliffhanger. And I, I think it's a, a really solid episode. All right, how about you, Charles? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know it's been a long time between episodes of our podcast, but given that we are technically in the middle of a two-parter uh it's a really good follow-up to the last episode where it leaves off with ang flying up to the wall and just getting a glimpse of the drill um it's action-packed for people felt like that it's got some it's all it also has some a lot of interesting plot connotations um we know at least that while you know this is a temporary victory for team avatar it's not per se, <laughs> anywhere close to permanent, since within the end of the season, Bossing Say falls to Azula regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's a it's a great episode. It's got nice flow. Uh, I really like Corey's statement about how it's similar to old Star Wars. Like, this is pretty... S- well, not similar, but it reminds me of, like, how they plan to blow up the original Death Star. So, yeah, no, I like the episode a lot. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start us off on a very weird foot. I, I couldn't agree more with Corey. Uh, I think that this episode, yes, right off the bat, is kind of the episode I remember the most of, of Book 2. 
Um, now, part of that is I just happened to have one. This is one of the episodes that I happened to own uh, on iTunes. It's one of the first things I ever bought on iTunes. Um, so I just, for that part of it is I've seen this episode a lot. Uh, that said, I think that this is just an episode that encapsulates a lot of the things I liked about the show and a lot about things I liked about book two. Um, what's interesting is I came out of, or I, I went into last week's episode thinking that The Serpent's Pass was the weaker of the two episodes. And, I mean, I ended up giving that episode a 9.9, so obviously it really can't be. Um, and I kind of went into this one expecting it to be kind of the better one. But I, I, I think that that one, I think The Serpent's Pass might just be a little bit better. Um, the drill is really good, and this is the, the word I used before was kind of high quality. I think this is just a very high quality episode of television. Um, it doesn't quite have the emotional weight that we had last week, but still, uh, I say last week as if we were not, you know, a month and a half away. But um, since the previous episode, um, I also agree a lot. I mean, I think that there, this was very clearly an episode that was built on Star Wars ish. Um, this felt a lot like the, the destruction of the Death Star, um, and, and kind of in a similar, you've got this big mechanical MacGuffin and, and they have to find a way to, to destroy it but I thought they did a really good job of, of doing it in a, in a uniquely Avatar way and making it very fresh um, and there's some things about this episode that I think a lot of television and a lot of storytelling could learn from in terms of the plan and having a legitimate plan that, that is stuck to um, so let's we'll start things off we'll get into our episode discussion um, I think that one thing I want to say just at the top about the drill is I think the drill is very important um, from the standpoint of we we think about uh, one thing that people often criticize in Korra is the mechanical nature and you, know, you had these mech, mecha suits and all this kind of crazy stuff. But this is one episode I do point to that's like no one seemed to have a problem with the drill in, in Avatar. And it's kind of the same type of thing. It's a big, massive piece of machinery that obviously uses some bit of bending in order to create or something in this bending world. So I think it, I think it's totally fine, but I just something I, I, I kind of say because I know it's a criticism that gets lobbed at Korra a lot, and I've never really seen that criticism here. Uh, I was always of the opinion that it's more like the mech suits were not, it's not very obvious why they were made, if that makes sense. Like, the drill, it's very obvious. <laughs> it, it, you, and it, we've already, like, seen that the Fire Nation is most, for Avatar, at least, Space Avatar, that they're uh, the most technologically advanced and minded. Like a lot of their a lot of their wars perpetuated off of use of um, more advanced machinery than the other nations have, and we also know that they've been trying to break into Bossing Say for at least since Iroh was Crown Prince. So, like, I think that plays a lot into it. Like, you can justify, oh, they spent potentially decades and you know. Preparing this thing to break into Bossing Say, whereas no, no, the no, Mexicans is like, why did they? But why do they exist? I I understand, and I, and I guess I as always, I don't want to turn this into a full-on like discussion of the merits of Korra. I just I do think that it seems like the the technology in Korra sometimes gets dismissed offhand, and I, there might there are in some cases legitimate concerns which you're kind of laying out. But I think that it's just important to recognize that, like, it's not like the technology in Avatar was the Stone Age. I mean, this this drill is clearly a, a piece of, of machinery, uh, you know, that's self-propelled. You know, it, it, it's we're not that far removed. And I've kind of the way I've, I've said it is, I feel like Avatar is kind of set in like 
the 1860s, that seems to be like kind of close to what the uh, what the technology is. And, you know, that means 70 years later, we're kind of in the 1920s, which make, you know, which makes sense that we have early airplanes and bombs and things like that. Um, so I just think it's just in terms of like timelining, obviously, we're not in the same world. But in terms of overall technology, I think it all kind of works out. I actually, I'm on. I know we're not really talking about Cora, but just to go back to what you said, where I, everyone apparently doesn't like their technology. I actually really like Cora's tech because it integrates technology with bending, and I think that's just brilliant. Like I think that's exactly how technology would evolve in a world that has bending. So I actually like Cora's tech. Cool. All right. Sorry, that was just a quick uh, a quick starter on that. Um, when you, we're talking about the drill, though, I, I do actually really like how they animate it. I think it looks really cool. It, it, it seems to like look like it's very powerful, but also kind of slow and lumbering. Um, I think they do a good job of creating this thing that, that looks as, as it should, I think. Um, but the one thing I will say, did you guys feel like there wasn't enough, like, let's say they, everything goes perfect, they get through the wall and storm the city. Was it just me or was there like nowhere near enough troops to, to do that we want to get into the wall yeah yeah i mean how many people do you think were on the drill itself i, I don't know but not that many i mean it, it's hard to say and i mean grant we also know that we're not that far removed from a bay where you know maybe there, there are just a lot of troops in barracks relatively close that could get there um but it just kind of struck me as like it, it almost felt like and maybe this is the point, like, that the Fire Nation didn't fully commit to this thing. Well, I think they had some of their most important key players on the drill. So if they weren't committing, I don't think they would have had, like, Azula on it. Like, it, I, I... Is Azula there because she needs to be? Or is Azula there because she's tracking the Avatar and is like, eh, I guess I'll go see what the Warner Minister's up to. I think she was there because this is, as uh, Charles said, this is like been on the Fire Nation's MO for a long time now, so I think this is almost to them just as important as capturing the Avatar. Alright. No, I just if if that's the case, I mean it's not the biggest deal. It just it did feel a little bit like where are like where's the massive invasion force you're going to need to take this city? Like, okay, you get unless it's unless Ramsey's in there with his twenty good men, like what's That's actually a good question because would this episode have changed a lot if there was a foot army of Fire Nation soldiers with the drill? I think the answer is yes, because they could have deflected all of their, like, sabotage, pretty much, before they even got to the drill. I mean, that and, like, once Katara and, and Sokka get down, like, get out of the drill, they're just kind of standing there out in the open doing nothing. And I kind of was like, where are, like, the, you know foot soldiers who are supposed to storm the city. Why aren't they, like, doing something about that? But at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, I, the, the, the drill itself, I think, is executed well enough that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's not going to, it doesn't bother me that much, but it just, it is something that I kind of thought about a little bit. I mean, granted that at the end of the day, they only really need three, one bender, two non-benders, and a bunch of political backstabbing to take over Bossing Say anyway. Is it really that far fetched that they don't need the foot army? No, but the the big difference is one, they don't know that. It's not like the Azula's going in knowing she's gonna have that kind of power. She figured that out when she got inside the city. But also the 
once it's like the whole takeover of the of the country with the Dali is kind of like at the to some degree it's yes it's very it's easy to do because the country was already taken over by someone who wasn't the Earth King he was they were already taken over by by Long Fang and all Azula did was place herself in charge of the organization that had already taken over the city and then once that happens the Daily let down the walls and then the the, the Fire Nation walks in yeah no no I I understand that what I mean is. Are we sure that uh, we have no way to know whether or not that was the plan from the beginning? What that Azula always thought she was going to do that? Yeah. No, I think we do because she knows that. She knows that historically, they've never really been able to take Bossing Say by brute force. But she goes into the city, and I mean, I'm pretty sure there's like actual lines that she kind of has, like after noticing stuff about the Daily. And, and sort of saying like okay this is the key this is how we're gonna gonna do things like I I don't think that she that she knows um, she goes in with that as the plan I think that she goes in mostly because she's tracking Iroh and Zuko and she's tracking the Avatar and Aang went to, I mean to bossing that, that's yeah I mean that's more likely the reason uh, I don't remember the specific dialogue from Azula in the back half of this book very well but um, like, even supposing that isn't the case, we've seen, especially for Avatar, I'd argue this is less the case in Korra, but in Avatar, one skilled bender seems to be worth a lot of the average person. Oh, yeah. A lot of the average bender, and, like, near infinite amounts of average people, And sadly enough. And part of that, I know, is just, is they, they've said that it actually cost them a lot more to, to do large-scale battles. And, and they kind of have to keep things small just because the art gets a little bit too crazy. Um, and that's like, and I, it's fine. Um, but I think that in this case, it just, it feels like this kind of a plan would necessitate a pretty large occupation. Like, because we know eventually they have to move a pretty large occupation force into Bossing Se in order to keep the, like, keep the peace. I think it's just like more of like a military like thing where it's just a symbol like them showing that like like we penetrated your walls we're here now and then I think once they were through they were gonna you know call in reinforcements and start placing guards and everything because I don't they didn't have the, the Earth Kingdoms didn't have really a presence there so it's not like they could really do anything even with the small amount the Fire Nation brought. I mean yeah, I, it's not that they like I said it's not a particularly big deal. It just it just was a small like. It just seemed a little bit like it was just the drill. I mean, that's certainly true. Like, from the first shots we get of it, it's like... But then, also, this thing is fucking massive. <laughs> so, uh, I think Corey said at the beginning, God knows how many people are actually inside of it. That's true. We don't... So, it's really possible there was, a, there was a fair size force inside, and, you know, plus you had those little tanks outside. Plus, you know, like I said, there's also a fair chance that there was just a large kind of standing army waiting at Full Moon Bay and, you know, waiting for the order to storm. Yeah. Um, and they didn't want to, like, put all their eggs in one basket in case this thing was, like, you know, they found a way to destroy it easily, which they did. Um, I like that once they're on the wall, um, it's Toph who brings up the story of the Dragon of the West. Uh, I mean, obviously, partially it just makes sense because she's the, you know, the one with a formal education and she's the one from the Earth Kingdom. And I think that even though, like, it's not so much in Toph's character to be like 
the one who knows a lot about history and knows like a lot about the world like it it actually does though make sense that like of course Katara and Sokka don't know like the story of you know this invasion 25 years ago or you know I guess not 25 but you know a couple of years ago I guess like six or seven years ago Wait, how long ago was the invasion, well, actually? Well, Zuko was, like, ten. So it's probably, like, seven, yeah, it's like, seven, so it's seven like years ago. So it's, like, six or seven years ago? I, I mean, I, I, maybe a little... It could be a little more, it could be a little less, but somewhere in that... You know, somewhere between, like, five and ten. Um... So this is our, our episode where we first start into uh, group names. The Terra Team. Sokka's right. That is a good group name for a group of Earthbenders. That's like Cisco level naming right there. But it's good. I, I, I enjoy it. Um, then specifically on them, I really like the way they had the Earth Kingdom Battalion moving like as a unit. Um, like We often have bending is very individual and these very individual people doing things. Um and it was really nice to see, like, this was obviously a, a unit that had been together a long time and was working as one as opposed to, you know, ten individuals each doing their own thing. It's funny, I never get, because the Fire Nation always bends as a unit. I, I always just imagine it being that usually you don't see it in anything but the Fire Nation because, like, the Earth Kingdom isn't necessarily unified. So I, I see the Fire Nation bending as, like, a military unit and, like, going in waves and whatnot, but no other nation doing that because what do you, like, the, the water kingdom, the water wouldn't, uh, air yeah. nomads wouldn't, so. But in this, in this specific sense, it makes sense that the Earth Kingdom would. Oh, absolutely, oh, like yeah. That. Yeah, I completely agree, yeah. And it just kind of gets at, like, the way, the amount of visual storytelling they're willing to do, um, in this case, I think, was just, that, that, that works really well. Um, of course, though, they are absolutely no match for May and Ty Lee who just kind of come down and, and destroy them a little easily. Um, I do think that at times May and Ty Lee might be a little bit more powerful than perhaps they should be. I love watching them fight. Especially, I mean, I agree. They're, especially they're incredibly Ty, cool. Ty Lee also, especially Ty Lee. Like, watching her oh, yeah, I agree. go is like watch. It's like art. It's like the animation behind it is just so good, too. Like, everything is... Has a rhythm to it. Oh, she has a perfect fluidity of motion. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good rhythm. No, I love their fights. I just it does kind of seem like these are like hardened, you know, warriors and two people who are you know, you know, two random Fire Nation girls without bending. They are not fi and, random Fire they're Nation. They're not girls. random. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously no. But like, you get what I mean. That like they are like it's like wow, they are really powerful, and yet they're nothing even remotely close to Azula. It just kind of goes to show how incredibly powerful. Oh, I, I will. I will get back to Azula's fight later this episode. But oh I yeah, have a lot oh, to say we have about a lot. That. We'll have a lot to say about that. Um. So I think the one kind of real complaint that I would have is I, I found the Earth Kingdom general just a little too bumbling for my case. Like I. I understand it, but sometimes I, I just find it a little bit annoying sometimes when you get like these people who are clearly in like in power in a very like, you know, in a high ranking military position. It's like how did he get there be like he's very obviously just dumb. And it kind of gets it like it just gets to me, it's like, come on, can we I don't it, you know, we don't we don't need to all be strategic geniuses. And I find like the 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 war minister kind of encapsulates the other side of it where he's not exactly a genius but at least 
clearly commands some degree of respect. Like, I just don't see how this guy commands respect in a, in a military meeting. I mean, you could think about it like he's not actually respected at all. Um, given... Given what we know, it, the wall assignment could actually be a token position. Maybe. Just like he's related or, you know, whatever, connected, so they had to promote him, but they didn't want to give him something critical, and, mm -hmm. I mean, anyway, a lot of the Earth Nation is, I mean, a lot of Bossing Say is run by the Dai Li regardless, but, you know, they just wanted him out of the way somewhere, so... Put him on the wall. No one's broken the wall other than Iroh. It's yeah. it seems like a pretty easy job to do. I mean, I guess that's I guess that's fair. It, it and I, I, you're right, and maybe that's a that's a pretty reasonable way to look at it and to say you know okay you know bad political appointee or something. Um, it just that's the one thing about the episode that got to me. Just I felt like all right, dude, can you like you just be a little bit more confident? <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty shitty. <laughs> Um, now, uh, I Iro flirting with the uh, border crossing guard. That that uh, I don't think. No, no, she was flirting with him. I think he just like is. A oh no! Leader. When I when I say flirting, I, I don't think he's actually interested. I think he's you know doing it because he knows it'll get them through the crossing. Yeah, but I think he's also such a nice. Even if he wasn't, he's just such a nice guy. She was like obviously flirting with him, and he's like just like someone that's like so good-hearted he would just like takes his compliments and has actually made his day like that's how i viewed that entire scene not because he was trying to like be overly nice to get through but just because like he wait she he started it didn't yeah, he? he started it i know that's what i'm saying i i, I, I don't know oh my bad i, I misheard think, my bad I, I think i think he was kind of putting on a little little extra Iroh charm. I, I mean, I think you're right that Iroh is that kind of person and, like, is someone who is, is very nice and will compliment people like that and it doesn't necessarily need to be ulterior motives. But I do think that there was just a little bit of extra Iroh charm and, you know, you're like, this this guy is, he knows, he's know what, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he, he, he definitely gets around. Or did get around. Well, you know, he has one of the most ridiculous flirt flirtation scenes in the entire show with, uh, What's her name? June. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll always love Longshot. I, I just I love that little sequence with Jet being like, What do you think? And you know, Longshot gives his nod and Jet's like, I can respect that. Eh. Just like it's a lot going on there. Actually it's especially um potent because we know he could speak if he really wanted to. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, he just cho he's choosing not to because, um, for you know, for his own personal reasons. Yeah. So, so Corey, um, did you? I got a little listening to listening to the War Minister. I got a little Tarkin in there, especially because of how much I felt like this was the destruction of the yes, Death Star. Yes, but, like, but the difference is Tarkin is very confident, uh, confident and a brilliant mastermind. Um, while this guy, I, let I me say this: I got a lot of episode one Tarkin before any all you know uh, extended universe etc okay, where fine. you can yes. know stuff about him of course of, no actually you know what I, I view him more as the guy who gets choked by Darth Vader 
Like no, mm, he's like, I don't know. He he he's obviously a he's definitely in charge. I mean, except maybe Azula, um, who's kind of like the Vader esque kind of thing. Um, but it also definitely felt like this was like his, like he's kind of seeing okay this we have this great you know this we now have the power to do whatever we want to conquer you know conquer the galaxy conquer the world yeah that's and, why i think he's like the guy who gets choked by vader like we have the ultimate power in the galaxy type deal i mean i guess a little bit of both but i i don't know he he, he get i definitely just feel not a, he's not he's not completely tarkin but i think there's just a little bit of tarkin in there i get you know what i what if i if i were to say tarkin it's the end of new hope where it's like retreat yeah. in our moment of yeah that's like yeah that, that's what i mean that part okay. of tarkin like like when he's like to azula like I'm sure it's nothing. Like you know, no big deal. This there, or the uh, the metal shell can withstand any earthbending attack. Like that's like the oh, our shields are strong enough; they can't destroy us. Yep, I completely agree. Um, I I really like the the, the subtle metal bending um, hints in this episode. Um, you know, Toph, you know, it's like you know, Chunji's like I don't, I can't go in there. I won't be able to bend in there. And it's like mm, not for much longer. And then later on, Aang has his little line about like what I'd give to be a metal bender. And it's kind of just like, I like that they kind of, like, it's still, like, at this point in this world, it's still completely and totally crazy, the idea of, of metal bending. And yet we're only, I don't know, like, six episodes, yeah, like, six episodes from it. So once once they get inside, um, you have Sokka knocking over, or um, attacking the, the pipe, I guess, to, to release the steam. And, and this is where I think this this episode really comes together in a, in a great way, because just from start to finish, you just have this this full on, and we, we kind of they, they talk about it within the show a lot about this plan that Sokka needs to come up with, and I just love how much everything logically makes sense. That yeah, Sokka breaks something. There's a there's a leak in a pipe. An engineer with some form of schematics is going to come to fix it. They easily you know they freeze him, take the plans, and 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 find a way to deal with it, and. Once they do that, it's a very, like, it actually makes a lot of sense. You look at this structure, and you kind of, like, if you were looking at it and not weren't told anything, you'd say, well, where's the weak point? Well, probably these thin little braces here. Obviously, they're not particularly thin once you look at them, but in terms of, like, how you would attack something like this, it, it works. It's not this, and not that I, and I don't want to get, totally get into this because I don't actually have a problem with it, and, and I don't think Rogue One was even necessary. I think that the the train you know the, the exhaust pipe with the death star was perfectly reasonable but it, in that that was not something that you as a viewer could have intuited there's no way you could have looked at anything that we've seen throughout the death star I and mean, like the way to take that out is to fire a, a whatever they fire into uh an exhaust pipe that'll go into a core and then blow it up like that's not something you could figure out but it's actually nice that like they even give us this visual you can even see it like no no that makes that's what someone looking at it would come up with on the fly as a quick like that's our that's our plan and i i really like how they do that yeah that was actually such a brilliant way to take it down with like a combination of like outsmarting them bending and just straight physics too i think it was like such a good way to take down the drill and it wasn't too over the top and it made perfect sense visually i think it was a very good uh uh series of events yeah um, just to change gears a little bit, we have what ends up being a very important um, scene because the the fact that Jet finds out about Zuko and Iroh is, is kind of one of the main drivers of the, the plot for the next couple of weeks. Um, but 
Iroh heating his tea. Now, on one end, I love the way they, they do this because you actually get to see Iroh heating the tea in the background. Like, it's out of focus. It's not, like, if you're not looking for it, you wouldn't notice it. But if you actually do look, it is completely there. You can see him kind of looking around to see if anyone's watching and then do something. And then suddenly the tea has, um, you know, has steam coming out of it. Um, that being said, I feel like Zuko kind of has a point here. And we kind of get in the same place in terms of episode two. Seems like a little bit much for me. I mean, I know Iroh loves tea, and I know that, like, you know, it, yes, he's going to do something like this, but at the same time, I don't know. For a wise old man, it was a pretty stupid move. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And it just, I guess, I, to some degree, it kind of brings up a larger point that Avatar, for the most part, does a really good job of, of staying away from. But sometimes we get here, and it's much more common in other fantasy stories, where if you exist in a world where the there is a there is magic in the world that's not rare, that most people in the world are fully aware, or in this case, everyone is in the world in the world is fully aware that some people have what we would consider in our world magical powers. Sometimes I think shows forget that like, well, if that's the case, everyone's going to know what it is. And like it, a good example of this is we'll see this in Tales of Bossing, say in two weeks with Zuko lighting all of the candles. Like we live in a world where it's common knowledge that some people can shoot fire out of their hands. And it almost feels like, why would you, why wouldn't anyone immediately think of that as like, well, if anyone saw him having hot tea there, like, it's not like the fact that he can, you know, self-ignite tea is this weird, rare thing that no one's ever seen before. Like, people know what firebending is. Um, and I don't think this is a terrible example of this, but I do think this gets kind of up to that line of, like, we know magic exists. Why are we pretending like other people in the world don't automatically know it and think that it's totally mundane? I mean, to be fair, in this one, you said it, it was in the background, and they kind of make an attempt so that, you know, Iroh turns his back to them before he heats it, it's not obvious. Um, and you would never really catch it unless you were looking at him the entire time and knew it was cold prior. The guy, the guy selling the tea is going around advertising that it's hot, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like I said. It's not the biggest deal in the world, and I, I and it, because it's T and Iroh, it's kind of like okay, I can let it slide. But it's just one of those situations because like later on, you have um, you have Smeller be saying with. to Jet like, "So the guy had some hot tea. What does that prove?" And like, yes, I, you're right. It doesn't actually prove anything, but it just is one of those situations where it's like, it's not as it's not that crazy. It's not like. This is, oh my god, I think that guy can create fire out of nothing. Well, we know that that's a thing here. Well, yeah, for sure. It's more that, you know, Jed is uh, pretty gung-ho about anything oh, to yeah, do with Oh yeah, obviously. Fire. And it, if there, it is a situation where it's like if it was someone who wasn't Jet saying something like that, it's probably a different reaction. But from Smellerby, it's like, oh, here we go again, like... Like, come on, like, I thought we were turning over a new leaf. So so for the most part, this yeah. I, I think this whole thing works. I'm not, like, I, I don't have a problem with it, but it just kind of just got close to that thing for me, and, and I and I just want to, just wanted to say it here. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel you on the general point. Um, you mentioned Tales from Bossing Say, so yeah, especially with Zuko State, that was, that one is much more bleeding. Yeah, like that one, I'm like, well, there's fire now. Where did it come from? Hmm, I wonder. I wonder if people in this universe could shoot fire out of their fingertips. Nah, that that's not a thing. <laughs> so, um, so we get our we get the birth of Team Avatar. I'm I'm, I'm happy. I like Team Avatar. I like the I like that name. It, it's it's kind of so silly that I like it. Team Avatar. Yeah. Wasn't that already established? That name, Team nope. Avatar. Nope. I could have. It was this is because because this is the time when 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 Sokka hears the Terra team, he's like, "Oh, we need our own group name." And this is when he says, "All right, we're Team Avatar." Okay, it's so strange. I I swear to God, I'm con- I've been conditioned to think that's always been around since like book one. So it's actually weird. It to feels find out. like it, but yeah. it's not, and that's I love. Just, that's I probably just because I'm I'm just the third time I've rewatched the yeah, entire obviously. show. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so. Uh, I, I like the kind of like both sides being like super optimistic with Sokka, like the uh, when they the as soon as they hear the thing after they've cut through the first brace, it's like we took it down, let's go. It's like a bit overconfident there, Sokka, and then immediately you kind of like go to the war minister, being like start the countdown to victory, and it's like yep, a little overconfident there too, sir. Um, so something I also really like about all this is the fact that. For the most part, the bending that we see in this episode is mostly being used kind of for a specific purpose, and it's not... I mean, there obviously is a major bending fight in, and we'll get to later, but we do see a lot of, like, bending as, like, they're using it to cut through metal, and I really like that, that we get to see, you know, we get to see be- this this part of the world as um, as not just a fighting style and not just as a, as a survival tool, but also as, like, okay, we need to do something, how can we use this power that we have to do it. What I like too, it wasn't just strictly bending that ultimately took down the drill. It was everything. Like all, oh, yeah. every, like if it was just bending, I actually probably wouldn't have, I mean, I wouldn't have disliked it, but it would have, what made this so special was it was a mixture of bending, smarts, getting the right intel, using just real life physics. It, I think it was just, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I, I'm just saying I like that the that some of the bending we saw was also was not specifically directed in a combat situation, yeah. but some of it was right. just kind of okay. We need to cut. How are we going to cut this bridge? Well, we're going to bend water through it. Right. It's very practical. Um. So a line I want to key in on is you know Ang is you know they're they're discussing okay we're gonna we're gonna now go through and and cut each you know each brace a little bit and he says you know the whole world is counting on us and. It's just like it's just a great moment of like okay wow like the mind you can just see how much this mindset of his has changed and obviously we saw some of it back in the book one finale when he was saying like, you know saying he's going to stand up and, and, and do everything he can to fight in the the in the, the North Pole uh, but just getting to see it again like that those are words that would not have possibly come out of his mouth in the beginning of book one um, and and I, I like that um, I like that we're just continually reinforcing how much Ang has has grown up and it and it works because obviously this season is going to end on Aang making you know having to be put to a, a choice about like what to sort of what to value himself or the you know what he needs to do for the world and, and getting to see that he's he's moving in that direction is very important in order to make that choice have a lot of weight 
Woo, Aang's maturity. Alright, we're getting there. I know. I can stop shitting on Aang all the time. It's incredible. Well, for a while at least. For a little while. Then we get to the Awakening, and don't worry. The, 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 the Aang, Aang attacking will recommence. I mean, I can't... <laughs> yeah. Um, so... While I definitely love the fact that we got to see some bending used in, in interesting ways, the fight in this in this episode, the, the first one at least, in, like that's inside the drill um, mechanism, is is absolutely incredible. Um, it's another situation where we get a really cool, unique location. Um, I mean, you get to see Tylee using you know her acrobatics to work on you know now suddenly these you know metal bars and beams, um, and then on top of that, it was really nice to get to see a fight that wasn't just okay we're gonna put two characters together and they're gonna fight in order to you know and, and sort of do that like ang and, and and you know ang kind of had his had had a goal Sokka and katara are trying to do a different thing you know and then they're trying to be stopped by um you know by azula at and tylee and i just liked that there was it was a little bit more complicated and obviously you know they don't at least in terms of azula like they, she doesn't actually know what she's trying to stop them from doing like she doesn't know what their main plan is, so it actually adds an extra dimension to it where she's not entirely sure exactly how to command. She's just going to, okay, I'm going to chase down Aang and try and, and try and get him while Aang is like, okay, I can just, at this point, I can just leave. I don't, we don't need to be here at all. We'll just leave and go to our next objective. Um, and then once it transitions outside on top of the drill, it gets really great because now it's, the the fact that you see Aang essentially fighting against mul all these different things, like he's fighting against the falling rocks, the time that's gonna you know before the drill makes it through the wall and they just lose, and then Azula herself, and kind of getting to see all the different layers of this and the fact that it's not you know it's not just the kind of gentlemanly one on one duel that we see a lot, which are great and sometimes are you know I'm not you know, I'm not mm -hmm. criticizing those, but it's just really nice that we get to see a total change up from all of that. And it makes it more intense because that any possible thing can trip up Aang too. So, like in a gentleman duel, there's then it usually it's funny too because it usually makes in like a one v one. Obviously, the hero has to win. So when a one v one happens, it just makes the antagonist look all the worse because they just can't take on the hero. But now in this circumstance, you give the antagonist more of an out too and like more of an advantage, so you don't have to yeah. like write yourself into a corner like that. And it's also, Aang is not trying to actually beat Azula. He's trying to beat, like, his enemy is the drill. Azula's enemy is Aang. And that kind of also adds to it where it's like, Aang doesn't necessarily beat Azula. He just happens to complete his objective first. Um, and that's really cool to see, too. Um, and obviously, it's, it's a way to work around the fact that Azula is so unbelievably powerful. And you didn't have to undermine her by making her lose you just have a situation where Aang is able to complete what he his task and and do it. Um, it's a, now it's a really well designed situation for sure, because mm -hmm. you can definitely envision a world where they had written it um, more like a one like a one v one like Hori was talking about, uh, where it could have been more linear, or they could have made it in such a way where there was like a key like I guess pretend it was um 
pretend it was more like uh, Star Wars and the Death Star where there was one point of weakness and you could have put someone in front of it. But we see throughout the episode they just kind of change tactics to you know, stop this thing no matter what. Uh, even though it gets really distorted from what they originally were trying to do or how they originally planned to go about it, it still works in the end. Yeah. Um, now, talking about Azula, I mean, I, I might have said this before, but I just have to say it again. Her fighting style is so unbelievably well done because it just it looks so much more precise and so different from any firebending we've seen before. And I just I can't get over how much they are willing to put in the effort to tell this story visually where you don't have to know anything about Azula. You can just look at her fighting style and say, yeah, this is a different type of vendor. Obviously, the blue fire adds something to it on top of that, but just her motions and how much more like precise she is compared to what Zuko has been over the like the last you know book and a half. It's just it's it's unbelievably well done. You said it. There's there's no wasted motion with her. There's nothing yeah. that's like where there's like a downtime or she like she's for someone who's like literally a lack of a better term batshit insane. She is completely flawless in her technique and as you said like the blue fire that is not just a cool like effect it's like it means something it means that her fire is hotter than a normal firebender's fire i love how you yes it does i that's not i know that blue fire first of all blue fire is not necessarily hotter than uh, other fire it has to do with the metals and minerals that are burning and second of all it's established well, that's not, in, it's not always hotter but there's no minerals a, being burned in firebending it's so established in firebending masters that the different colors have to do with the the person who's bending not the heat of the flame i all right well to be fair i've always viewed it as it's just hotter fire and okay i guess if you're if the writers went on record and said that it just has to do with the personality or whatever then okay but i always and i'm sure a lot of people viewed it as it just being better fire um and then it the fact that lightning is not her primary source it's just something that she uses to supplement attacks and just the way she does like backflips and giant like bursts of fireballs come out of her feet that like push ang all the way back she is by i i again i always said she on screen is the most powerful firebender you have ever seen Obviously, you never really the fire. I think she's stronger than the fire lord, just based on what you see. Like, I, I think the fire lord might be more powerful, but Azula is definitely more precise and more, um, and to some degree, like to kind of put this in like baseball terms, like she just has incredibly good mechanics. Like her, you, I think Corey, you said it. Like she has no wasted motion. Um, like you know, to, you could kind of like say like she's short to the ball. Like she's she her her attacks are short to the. Um, to the attack, there's not these big flourishes um, that you sometimes see from Zuko, um, and that makes it like that also helps because when you're when you're quick like that, you don't have you can get attacks off a lot faster. Um, yeah. And to some degree, the Fire Lord has sometimes that. Definitely has like wire, almost wilder mechanics. Potentially more power comes out, but it's not as compact and and tied together as, as Azula. Just imagine this is kind of a tangent. We don't have to really stick on it long, but like imagine how good of a leader Azula would have been if she just had her head on straight. Like, she... You know what I mean? Like, if she had her head on straight, she easily could have taken over after the Fire Lord and made something happen. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but you also have to ask the question: Would she be the same person? If, like, I, I to some degree, what makes Azula such a great villain is that she's not her craziness is just kind of the other side of the coin. Like the reason she's like that is the reason she's so good is because she's so much of a perfectionist. She expects so much of herself that she's willing to keep training and say like one hair out of place. And it's like almost isn't good enough. That is the double-edged sword for her. Like, would she be able, should she, would she have pushed herself to the limits that she did and become as perfect a vendor as she would if she wasn't such a crazy control freaking perfectionist? Um, true. I mean, I think her control freak perfectionism and her just outright being crazy are two different things entirely. I think I don't. I think they're very much the same. Mm. How so? Because I think that for Azula, she is someone who is who one wants to be in complete and total control of everything around her. And two, she is someone who wants to be perfect. She wants that, that to achieve this complete degree of perfection. And that is tied together in her identity. And the cracks start because, one, she loses control of her friends. Her friend, you know, May and, and Tylee betray her. And she's no longer in control of that. And also, she finds out that she's based her entire the of her perfection is like, I am going to be the most feared person possible. And when May hits her with the, you know, I love Zuko more than I fear you, and kind of it's this whole thing where she's decided that fear is, is the most powerful emotion. That's what she believes. And then she kind of finds out actually no love can overcome that. It throws her world into, into chaos. And once that happens, once the facade of perfection and the facade of control is is broken there's nothing left underneath and she just completely unravels but like how do you see it like the way you start to see it manifest itself is like she her bangs aren't like she can't get her bangs right so she decides to chop them off because she can't have hair on her body that's not going to be perfect true but like the way we see her now is she does it the way we know her out of like anger she rips it it's like very aggressive but she could be the exact same type of perfectionist and not be that unhinged and still have the same end result of her being a phenomenal fighter and everything around it and if she took away that unstable edge of violence and short fuseness and, and, and all that stuff and actually could be a, a good leader to supplement it I, I think she could have been better than her father I mean I, I think you're right I'm just saying that I think that to some degree her eventual madness is very much tied together with her identity. And once, if you were to take that, if you take away the potential for that, I think you might also be stripping away some of her positive, like quote unquote, positive qualities as well. Um, well, but you said it yourself. That happens because the veneer of perfection was, you know, taken away. Um, through May or starting with main uh, Tywee's betrayal. Well, okay, depending on your interpretation, starting with her mother, either. But the, that all aside, like, is it not possible even with 
her, like, with that interpretation of her, uh, she could have, at that moment, just thought about it the other way and not gone insane. I mean, yes, I think that there's... Your love is stronger than my fear? Well, then I guess I'm gonna have to instill even more fear in you. No, I I think you're right. I think that there's a way she could have done this without completely going insane. I'm just saying that I think that her psycho... Like I said, I'm just saying that I think her psychosis is... Stems from the same things that that drove her to be as successful as she was. Mm -hmm. And, like, let's say she wasn't... Like... She didn't have the the issues that came from her mother, and you know, um, you know, this feeling of her mother pushing her away because she was, you know, she was evil. Like, does that fundamentally change who she is? I think it probably does a little bit. Um, but I also I do I under what your point though of saying like, wow, if you could have ta- like if you could have all of her positive qualities and just took away the negative ones, would she be an incredible leader? Yes, th- without question. No, I'm not an, an incredible leader. I, I even question the fall of the Fire Nation as, like, this imperialist uh, nation as a whole. I, I think the Fire Nation could have taken over the world under an Azula leadership. I I think that's a fair chance. Um, that being said, Aang ends up as pretty darn powerful in the end. Uh, true. I mean, again, that's the issue with the Avatar state. It's deus ex machina, so sure, I 100% agree. Yes. However, using that word, the one thing I have to say is I love the fact that there just isn't anything like that in this episode. Like, we have a plan. We stick to it. Obviously, we have to improvise in some cases to deal with changing circumstances. But we have a plan. We do it. And it works. Oh, There's they, no, you, like... Yeah. Like, in, I, I'm, like, I'm seeing so many other shows. I feel like you'd have... Everything would be the same. And then it would fail completely. Like, Aang would jump on the thing and it wouldn't do anything. And then it would be like, oh my god, we need to do something else. And then some magical solution would be presented. Not only that, they easily could have destroyed the drill just with the Avatar state alone. And they didn't do it. I think that's a, a, a very good trope. They don't, they don't just always rely on the Avatar state to get the heroes out of something. Like, yeah, they hold that through. card. Yeah. So, uh, so here's a question for everyone. Um, after this episode, where is War Minister Chief? Wait. But we have Deus Ex Rock. I mean, the rocks were being established, being thrown down there during the entirety of this. It's not like it just randomly happened. But, but it, he even says it. It's, it's, it was so perfect for him. Yes, you're right, but I'm also, not. That's, also, that's such it's, a um, small, like. I, I know it's, I know it's a comedy. Um, but you, you do have to find it kind of weird that like it was a constant hindrance before when they were fighting except for that one right when he's running up the wall there's no more rocks coming down when, like, like it's the one random one that fell at the very end and there's n- none others but is it possible that they saw Aang and Azula fighting down there and they stopped throwing them and then they started again once when they were no longer on the side because they Azula and no, 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 but what off. I mean is that one falls, right? Like, Aang gets up first. Yeah. That one falls, and then no others. Yes. You see him running up the wall, you see him shaping it, but there's nothing, like, falling in the background or anything else. Yeah, I, you're right. And that's a... You're right. That's, that's like, true. obviously, it's a... It, you know, it's just for humor. It's fine. It, I, I don't have an issue with it. It's funny. Yeah. But, that's fine. Um, yeah, you're right. 
Um, oh no, something before I before I, I was, was going to say about this, but um, one, the music in this episode is outstanding. Um, just a just a straight little hat tip. I, I love the music, and the the sequence of Ang running up the wall. I adore that sequence. It's one of my favorite in the entire show. Um, just there's something about Ang just you know using the air scooter to go up, running, turning the music cue when he you know as soon as he turns, and then you know seeing Azula shoot and just 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 she misses just by you know just a little bit over the top and um you know and then we see you know the see the power of of the attack and it, it comes together i just it it's it's such a well well executed um you know 20 seconds yeah this that's yeah. the thing if i like this, like there's average television and then there's like above average television and it's the choreography and avatar makes most episodes that if you just watch this episode with standard like choreography that you would see in like a normal car- action cartoon show even like if i would even say something like uh, and i love you mark knows this i love like something like young justice but like the choreography in avatar in an average episode is what always gives these episodes eights to tens like always. oh I, I i i've said i've said that if if you took a show like young justice and gave it the avatar level visuals and choreography and everything it would be just a flat out in, in you know it would be a show on kind of in a similar vein to avatar but unfortunately it just doesn't and there's there's really no other show that has just the, the is willing to go as far as they go visually Um, <laughs> so. I mean, a lot of that is designed too, right? It's not just pure animation quality. If you wanted to look for animated shows that are like just just by draw, like hand drawing, higher quality animation, they're definitely out there. But because in Avatar, everything is chosen with like such thoughts or reason, like backgrounds, um, small things, like. Even though animation-wise it isn't perfect, it just wor- it always works for what they want to show. And kind that's... of as we were saying with Azul, like there, there's very little wasted motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I mean that's what makes it so fantastic. Um, so I was saying, I was saying before. So, so you guys, you guys think uh, our War Minister Chin's in a, in a little bit of trouble? Actually, what I wanted to know even more than that is what the fuck was my doing for the like past ten minutes? Brooding, probably. But <laughs> like, cause um, uh, cause uh, we see Tyler get, I mean, basically blocked off by Katara in the slurry. Yeah. We know Azula's fighting Aang. Uh, Sok is with um, Katara. Sok is with Katara. Yeah, and then he gets, some sl- he gets slapped or water slapped. <laughs> but then what is what did my do? She closed the hatch and, and then she just there. chilled out. She <laughs> sat there and then she opens the hatch and says, "We lost." <laughs> uh, I love May. I, I she's she's so gloomy. I like May a lot more late, late, late later on. Like, and even uh, obviously in like the comics too. Like. Where she's just like a good girlfriend, I don't like this version of her. I think she's like I, I do like her. Then I guess because she has the foil of the other one. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. Right? Yeah. So her as a foil to her is actually fun, obviously. But like, I I prefer her later on, honestly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the end of the episode. I I love the you have this nice little bit of music cue and like this kind of very hopeful note, and then the fact that you know we're on the train with hope. Um, obviously, it's a little bit like okay, of course, you know Zuko and Iroh run into the same couple that you know Ang and Ang and them did, but you know what? Whatever. It's it's a, it's not like a plot point. It doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think it really works and, and getting to see them kind of on the wall um, you know vic- like they, they've achieved victory they've kind of they've saved the day um, and, and it plays for me it plays so well in, you know, going into the next episode because like this is like a really high note like you know they've, they've defeated the Fire Nation in this thing they're in Bossing Say they've made it you know they, we, we got them through the Serpent's Pass they're going to go find Appa and now we're going to immediately go into like this very like kind of dark, sinister thing because they're gonna find out how much you know how bad Bossing Say actually is, and I just think that it, it it's such a great pairing. Like we get we get to have this euphoric moment, and then we're gonna it's gonna subvert all of our expectations next week. Yeah, this- uh, I'm I'm excited for our episodes that are in actually inside Bossing Say. There yeah. is some. Uh... <laughs> There's, There's some, some real interesting, yeah. <laughs> That's the best. I mean, say. there's some stuff. Whew. We got a we got a doozy of episodes. So um, and then uh, no, I, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's, it's, you can keep on because it's not it's silly stuff. Um. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm just hyped for all the stuff. Yeah. We really end up learning. And talking about that, like, especially with, um, I guess we call it prior and post context, like, cause we know, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Um, so while, while I will always love Team Avatar, the Boomerang Squad is pretty amazing. Like, that is, <laughs> that is a such classic song. I just love the... It's good because it's got Ang in it, and you see Ang's reaction like I kind of like that one. Just that's so good. Does every uh. does every mini team need a, a nickname? Yes. Oh, good, good. I, I was just I wasn't. I just want to ask the question. Yeah, they they do. Um, all right, so we are going to wrap things up. Um, but before we do, a uh, quick break to talk about all of the other exciting content from Thoughts from Awu. Um, I announced at the top of the show, you can check out Felicity and Friends, our text-based chat for uh, the entirety of the Arrowverse, Season 3 of Supergirl, Season 4 of Flash, Season 3 of Legend Tomorrow, and Season 6 of Arrow. Very exciting uh, Corey and I had a very interesting chat about episode one of Flash uh, that will have already dropped by the time this has been posted, but you can check that out on our website at thoughtsmontwoo.com. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter. That is twitter.com slash underscore pod. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash stack, S-T-A-C underscore, or, yeah, underscore mode. Yeah. Um, but that'll all, those links will all be in the description. Um, you can also check out my stream. I will be streaming some StarCraft, some PUBG, some Hearthstone, and maybe some other fun, potentially some Avatar-related stuff. Um, and you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv hd underscore mode, M-O-D-E. Once again, all of that will be in the description. 
So, it's been a little while, so I'll do a quick uh, refresher when it comes to ratings and everything. As always, we are rating episodes between a 0 and a 10. A 5 is being average, and we are rating against all of television. A 5 is an average episode of television. A 10 is completely perfect, one of the best episodes you've ever seen. And a 0 is totally putrid. Nothing was good. I would do anything else in this world besides watch this episode. So, Charles, why don't you give us your final thoughts on your rating for Book 2, Episode 13, The Drill. Yeah, so, final thoughts. Um, I mean, God, it's it's hard to remember that this is a... I mean, it's easy to remember, but it's hard to think about that this is the second part of what is technically uh, <laughs> two, you know, a two-part uh, or a two-episode chain. So... Uh, I'll be honest, it's been a while since our last recording, I'm just gonna run the, like, run this as though we're not gonna do it jointly, like, we're not. We're, as a we're, pair. We're, we're, no, we're not rating as a pair, we're just rating this episode. Yeah, cause, uh, uh <laughs> I don't really remember what I gave the last one, but regardless, the episode on its own is great, like, there's, uh, it's great on plot, um, it's great in the action, I really enjoyed uh as mark said how we see different applications for bending here that are not strictly combat um and even though you didn't like the t that is an example of non non-fighting application of bending but um no the action scenes are really great the the way they go around everything um and how there's not like a magical solution to this big problem of the drill uh, even though like things go not the way they plan but it's like their adaptations and the way they get around that are not unbelievable it's like oh it still makes sense regardless so uh, but it's not like quite quite as special as uh, as like our book one season finale or uh, I, I wasn't on for the episode, but or like Zuko alone or anything. No, I think I'd give it a nine point four. Oh, um, wow. There's not much to. I don't really have anything to criticize, but it's not like as deeper, like as I like part of how I rate these episodes is how much they stick with me after. It, prep usually I look at I watch the episode a few days beforehand and then see how much of it I can do from memory or do from memory like on the day of so it wasn't quite I don't know it didn't stay as much as like well the two I mentioned prior or even uh, the storm from book one so that's not a criticism of this episode I think it's great oh no it's still you know you're giving it a phenomenal rating yeah so how about you guys? Corey. Um, that's a really high rating and I was not like so like this isn't an episode that there's story wise and just what we're seeing, there's nothing groundbreaking here. Like it's actually probably the most common story you could possibly tell in like a medium like this. But like again, what sets episodes like this and just you know, avatar episodes when it when it's being avatar apart is everything else and how they go about doing even the most common trope that everyone's already used to. So like 
Like, yes, I, I, there's good guys defeating a doomsday weapon. Like, we've seen that before. But again, the, the parallels to Star Wars are, like, like too many to name, pretty much. And it's just one of those things where you, you count in the choreograph, uh, the choreography, uh, sorry, the, all of, like, the, the, the fight sequences and the way... Corey, that word is not named after you. I know. I, I can't, I, can't <laughs> I used that word, like, ten times this time today, and I don't know why I started screwing it up. But anyway, like, you, you, they, as I was telling Mark, like, this episode could have been a five, like, a, an average television if they used the Avatar state to take down the drill, and then the fights were just regular fights, and, like, the same exact story, it could have just been a five. But it's not a five, because every small thing adds up and makes it better than average. And that's just... This, I don't. I rarely ever give an Avatar episode since I started doing this with you guys under an eight for, for many reasons, and these are the reasons right there. Like, if there's ever like a, a case study of Avatar where they could just take something completely average and make it above average, it's this episode. So for all those reasons, I'm giving this episode um, an eight point two. Okay. Um, the word I use on this episode is high quality. I think this is just a very high-quality episode of television. It does basically everything right. There's, there's, I mean, there were a couple, there were like two really small complaints that I had, and they're, they're pretty small and, you know, basically meaningless. And this episode, it just, it hits on everything it should hit on. Um, and as Corey said, like, this is a story that is very common, and it's very easy to mess up. And they don't. They execute it absolutely perfectly. And there is one scene in it that I think is as good as any scene I've ever seen. Um, to, to use the word scene 16 times in a sentence. So <laughs> I, I think this episode is, is flat-out phenomenal. I, I would agree with Charles. I don't think this is quite as good as last week's episode, which I gave a 9.9, or, or some of the really emotional, uh, emotionally-focused episode, because this, this episode is really like, it's just kind of action-packed and it doesn't really have anything of that. Um, so as a result, I'm going to give this a 9.2 out of 10. I think that this is this is really in the, the, the highest echelon of, of episodes. Um you know, hair or two below some of the some of the highest highest quality, um, but absolutely phenomenal. And and there, like I said, there's really nothing about this episode I would change. And like once you say that, you're talking about a, a truly spectacular episode. So thank you to Corey and Charles for being here. Thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate it. Um, and we will be back next week. We should be recording once a week now. Uh, so no, long, no more long hiatuses, hopefully. Uh, so we should be back next week with the City of Walls and Secrets, one of my most anticipated episodes. And Charles, I think, agrees. This episode, we have a lot to talk mm-hmm. about. Get ready for uh, get ready for one of our longest recordings. <laughs> yeah, that, that one could be like a, that could be a long one. Oh God. <laughs> All right. See ya.